Thanks for listening to another life-transforming message from the team here at C3 Southwest Washington. To find out more about our church, visit c3swwa.com. Lord God, I pray that you will just allow all of us to see when the opportunity arises for us to give of ourselves, like Esther did, for to give of ourselves and to give what we need, what you would request of us, Lord God, with a willing heart, Lord God. I thank you for the blessings that you've given us, and I thank you for the opportunities that are come for all of us to be able to bless others, to bless the church, to bless the people that, that we are going to come to love. Amen. Come on, give the Davenports a huge hand. Appreciate you guys. Remain standing. I'm going to go ahead and we're going to prepare to step into the word, but remain standing just for a moment. Uh, what, a, what a beautiful spirit here today. Amen. Don't take it for advantage or don't take, don't take it for granted. I'm sorry. Take advantage of it. Don't take it for granted. It's probably been some times in this season that you felt alone. Maybe you felt separated, maybe insecure, maybe afraid, maybe abandoned. And yet God gives us moments like these to know we're accepted we're a part of his family he's got good plans he'll chase us down even though we don't deserve it then he'll shake us and he'll pour some stuff in us and give us uh, the opportunity to step back onto the path walking in a straight way appreciate the worship team such a great job Steve today with the gals and everyone involved uh, and, and also Miss Trish great job this morning praying over us of course, again, Tyler, Tyler and Jennifer, who are uh, such great leaders in the house. Um, we're in a series entitled Undignified. I don't want to lose this moment of the sense of God's presence, because that's what worship always does. Worship brings the presence of God close, even though God's presence is everywhere. It's not necessarily experienced everywhere. But you can experience God's presence through acts of demonstrative worship. Not just thinking happy thoughts, but pressing in and using your lips, using your mouth, raising your hands. You might think, what's the big deal about raising your hands? Let me tell you what, with a man with a gun pointing it at you, you'll find those hands raised will get some results, right? It's all about posture. It's all about communication. I find that my wife responds to certain posture from me to her right? Certain tones of communication. And that's really what worship is all about. All the demonstrative forms of worship that we read about. And there's always going to be moments that fight against us from worshiping God. We call it pushback. There are those things that want to keep you from worshiping God because ultimately the enemy, the wicked one, and all circumstances of this life want to keep you from experiencing God's presence. Why? Because the enemies come to steal, kill, and destroy. And yet when David experienced that pushback from his wife, you will experience pushback in worship from all sorts of different places. Your own emotions. I just don't feel like it. Or maybe your own insecurity. God's not going to accept me. You get, a, you get pushback, but David said... I don't care about the pushback. I'm going to be even more demonstrative. I'm going to be even more undignified. I'm going to press in. I'm going to sing even if I can't hit the right notes. I'm going to raise my hands even if the air conditioning's on in the wintertime in this, this house of God, right? I'm going to press in. Let me read a fantastic verse to you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 13, 16 through 18. It says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who put a veil over his face, so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. 
okay? He goes on to say, now the Lord is the spirit, or I'm sorry, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is, say it with me, there is what? There is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. That's a key word, being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So this morning I want to talk to you about something that I've entitled uh, proximal transformation or being close. As a young, young boy, I went to a youth camp that was on the very tip of Long Island on an island called Shelter Island. And I want to tell you the accents there were strong. And I was only there for a week, but every year that I went for about six years, by the end of the week, just being around those Long Islanders, I went home with a Long Island accent. It was the weirdest thing. I could hear myself talk. And I was talking Long Islander. It was crazy. Because when you get around something, and it's got a strong flavor and it will get on you, it will change you. And that's one of the values of worship. We press in and we get close to God and he transforms us just by being around him. Okay, amen. Let me pray over you. Father, I pray you'll teach us to worship because there's things that you wanna change in us, change about us, to deposit in us, to do through us. And God, just getting around you is, is some of what's mostly required in order to experience all of your best things. We pray for your touch on your people this morning, both here in the room and at home at our, at our 11 o'clock gathering. God, impact people's lives as we get around you, transform us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said amen and amen. Give the Lord a big hand. You can be seated. Awesome. Well, um, along with this idea, this uh, proximal transformation, we read there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and this story is actually reverting back to the Old Testament. Now, if you've been reading along with our annual Bible, some of you have been doing that. If you haven't done that, jump online with us. Uh, we've just hit the book of, uh, we've just finished kind of with the book of Exodus, and now we're, we're reading about uh, open sores and balding hair and white hairs in the sores and looking at mold in your house and all sorts of gory stuff. And, uh, but prior to that, we were reading about Moses, and Moses had an experience with God. He went up onto the mountain, and when he came down, some of you will have remembered reading in there that his face was glowing because he had actually experienced the presence of God. And when you experience the presence of God, that's what I want to challenge every single one of you in the room. Always when we come and we gather, we create these moments to worship, not just so that we can sing songs together. Not just so that we can raise our hands together, but because in stepping into God's presence, there is a transference of the goodness of God into our lives. And I don't know about you, but I desperately need that. I definitely, I definitely want to experience that. It's not, I don't need a Long Islander accent. I need some of the goodness of heaven to get on me to impact my life. It makes me a better dad. It makes me a better husband. It makes me a better business person. It allows me to carry qualities that I actually admire, not the ones that I despise about myself. And so when Moses came down off of the mountain, he had the glow of heaven. And I don't know if you realize this, but there's something different about you after you walk out of this room, after we've gathered, than the person who came in. And the average person can see it. They might not be able to quantify it, but there is absolutely something different about you as you step into worship, especially in the New Testament with other people. Because as you look at this portion of scripture, Moses came down and he was the only one who experienced the presence of God. 
And so in the glowing of, of who he was becoming, being transformed into the image of God, it terrified other people because they weren't going along in the journey. And so they actually backed up and didn't want to be near him, so he put a mask over his face so they wouldn't be terrified. But notice as you look at this portion of scripture this morning, it's the idea as we step into the New Testament, we all have access to God. And so therefore, we all take the veil off that actually separates us from God. And it separates us because Moses didn't wear the veil up in, in, on the mountain. Why? Because he wanted to experience the transfer of God's goodness into his life. And so since we can all go up on the mountain, we all go up without a veil. And the Bible goes on to say, and we all with unveiled face as we, ex beholding the glory of the Lord, or in other words, this morning, experiencing the presence of God, no matter what state you're in, no matter how raw and rough, how, how unholy and sinful, or how self-righteous, or how honestly, how well you're doing, there is still a forward movement to be transformed into the image of God. All of his goodness comes upon you and adds even greater goodness into your life to be enjoyed, but it also helps you to experience and live out an even more favorable life. And it says we're being transformed into the same image. Like ultimately the image we're being transformed into is the better version of me that reflects Jesus, right? And so here, that's why it's the key is not for you to worship another person and become like them. All of us together worshiping the same God, we are all made better in his presence. We become the best version, absolutely without question, of ourselves. And so being in the presence of God will always transform you. Don't let the enemy tell you you shouldn't worship God because you're unworthy. That is why we worship God. We worship God because we're imperfect. We worship God because we don't have all of our stuff together. We worship God because we blew it on the ride here. We talked roughly maybe to our kids or our spouse. Trust me, you might feel like a hypocrite as you raise your hands and your family's, how dare he raise his hands? No, actually, your family's hoping you will raise your hands so that the ride home can be actually pleasurable, right? Anybody, you're, tra you're, you're tracking with me? Okay. Now, in, in natural science, uh, as we look at the word transformation uh, in that scripture, you can stay on the slide here, the word used in the Greek is metamorphosis. And that's a scientific word that we use in, in life today. It, it especially applies a caterpillar, a caterpillar becoming the butterfly. The concept of metamorphosis in science is to go from an immature state to a mature state. It's going from that thing that uh, is initially born but not complete and then going through key transitions that lead to that place of final destination. But what's different about the New Testament is when it uses this word metamorphosis, it's not about going from an immature state into adulthood. It's about going from a damaged state back into the original design and function as intended by the creator. It's not about maturity. It's about design and destiny that was missed because of damage. Now, I grew up, and this will date me, but I grew up Sunday nights, the $6 million man. Amen? Come on. Let me, those of you, some of you are like, I've heard of the $6 billion man. Well, that scale of economy back then, a million dollars was actually something. And when you, uh, if you know anything about that series, 
uh, fantastic, went on for some years, and the bionic woman and all sorts of other things that were birthed out of that. It's a story about catching bad guys, and the good guy who catches the bad guys was a, was a NASA um, astronaut, Colonel Steve Austin, who was injured in an experimental airplane crash. And in the process of being damaged, they took some bionic parts, some robotic parts, before that had ever been heard of. Some of you have been through knee surgeries and hip surgeries, and you are the bionic man or woman. And when you walk through your house, you can hear the sound effect. Some of you kids are like, what are you talking about? Listen, there's an iconic sound when the bionic part, see, Steve Austin got a new, I think it was a new right hand. He got two new legs. He also got a, a new eye, and he could zoom in 20 power, and it was also infrared. And so anytime he activated, like, his legs, he could run 60 miles an hour. But when he ran 60 miles an hour, you knew he was being bionic because you could hear, no, 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 no. And I don't know about you, but I hear that in my mind, even though I have nothing bionic, but it's exciting. Um, Steve was damaged, and then they brought him back to really better than ever before. But this is the thing you have to know about your own life. No matter what you've been through, every person inside of this room, sin has absolutely damaged every single one of us. Now, we've got some families that have newborns and, and babies that are so tiny and so precious, and every, every baby's beautiful, at least in the parents' eyes, right? But they really are. Every one of them's beautiful. And, and, but what's so amazing is looking at that precious, brand-new baby, I can, I, you gotta, you got to understand this. They are already born in a damaged state. In fact, they're conceived in damage, damaged by sin, Actually, less than what God intended, less than what God designed, every single conception after Adam and Eve happened in a damaged status. That's why David the psalmist in the book of Psalms, he says, in sin was I conceived. Or he goes on to say, as I was formed, I was formed in, uh, in, 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 in challenge. I was brought forth in iniquity. Because sin is this crazy substance that, like a disease, it permeates everything it touches from the moment Adam and Eve sinned, and it's impacted bodies, it's impacted relationships, it's impacted circumstances, environments. Even the earth that we live on has been radically impacted by the presence of sin. Not just the actions of sin, but in the atmosphere, sin per permeates the world that we live in. That's why there are storms that are out of control and put people at risk. It's why um, children never are actually born. It's why we experience deformity. We experience tragedy. Ultimately, the common denominator that creates all of that, because God is a God of life, we experience death and damage ultimately because of sin. Now, hear me for a second. It's not just your sin that creates it. It's the sin of others that can bring it, but it's general sin. Like, for example, uh, you stole something and you went to jail, so your sin created that outcome. But then maybe somebody lied about you and you went to jail. And so someone else's sin has impacted to you. Or maybe the man in the other car just fell asleep and now you spend your life walking around with a limp. Why did that happen to you? Some people would say, well, God has a purpose. What I would say is God can bring purpose out of any destruction, but ultimately it's the work of the enemy. It's the impact of sin because the enemies come to steal, kill, and destroy. Understand that. 
Yes, God can work a good purpose, but God is not the author of destruction in your life and the negative things that have happened. Um, lung cancer can come upon you even though you've never smoked. Why? Because ultimately sin creates this pressure that takes away from the people of God, uh, uh, away from everyone. And ultimately, the, the ongoing presence of sin has bombarded you with untruths and teaching from the time you were a small child that do not line up with the word of God, that cause you to walk in a way that is out of sync with God and leads to less than best outcomes. Some of you laying in bed, a thought came in your mind as a child that brought fear and terror into your life. And you've struggled with that ever since. Even though it was a shadow on the wall, I had a round seven-up uh, uh, puzzle that we put together. And on the wall, hanging in the moonlight, as a kindergartner, it looked like someone was in my room. And that got into me, and there was some fear associated. Why? Because ultimately, the presence of sin, and I didn't sin, the puzzle didn't sin, but this world is permeated with it, and so there is impact in your life. And you carry maybe some noticeable physical limps, or some emotional limps, or some spiritual limps. And so sin has damaged every single one of us. But this is the next point I want you to grab onto, is that transformation is the process of God. It's a process of God. It's not just God, but it is a process of God to remove sin and sin's impact from our lives. God wanting to transform your life, we discover in that verse that I read to you, it is the automatic thing that begins to happen the moment you step into God's presence. Moses probably did not understand that he was being transformed on the mountain. He was blown away. I'm talking with God. And yet he didn't know it. He came down off the mountain and all of a sudden he's glowing like he's radioactive. I, I met Jesus and I had no, I didn't even know that I had to have some things changed in my life. And yet immediately that night after I got home, things fell out of my heart that I didn't even know were wrong. It is the automatic process, the work of God to do what? To remove sin and sin's impact from our lives. Now, that could be an act, something you keep doing that is sinful, or it could be the impact of something that's grabbed onto the soul of your life and caused you to be crippled. Or maybe it's a deception, something you don't understand, and the impact of sin. It could be a disease in your body. The heart of God is to transform your life, to bring heaven down to earth so that you can experience heaven on earth. That is what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is not so that when you die, you get to meet God and, hey, I'm here, let's go. It's so that here on earth, you begin to experience that original design, the original destiny, and getting into God's presence is a catalyst to begin to unlock that. So um, as we experience the presence of God, the heart of God is to begin to transform us, to remove sin, to remove sin's impact from our lives. I'll give you a couple of points on this that I think are, are, uh, have been helpful for me. Number one, some of it's just going to fall off automatically without any, any effort at all. I remember that first night for me in God's presence, I was so blown away. God is really real. I could feel him. And, and walking away, there were certain outward external habits that immediately fell off my life, and I didn't even try. I had a pack of cigarettes sitting on my dashboard for months. Didn't even know they were there didn't even have a desire for them. That, that, that poisoning of my own body would eventually kill me. 
So is it a sin to smoke? I'm not getting into that, but I'll tell you what, it's a sin to kill yourself. And sometimes that's the food we eat, let's be honest. We want to point our finger at all sorts of things as being sin, but we don't want to point our finger at some of our Cheetos, okay? So, (laughs) right? So some things will fall off immediately. And how many of you have experienced that? Immediate transformation. Man, I experienced God, and I don't hate so-and-so anymore. (laughs) Have you not had that happen? I've hated anybody. Am I the only one who's ever hated someone? Walk into God's house and be upset. You you know what I'm saying? And somehow then, then God just breathes over, and you're like, oh, my gosh. I'm free. The blanket of my anger is gone. That's God's transforming power. That's not going to happen sitting at home watching Netflix. Netflix does not have transforming power. God's presence has transforming power. So some things will fall off immediately. Then some things will take a required step of obedience. God basically says, hey, I'm going to remove that from you if you will do X, Y, Z. There's a great story, Luke chapter 6, verse 10. Uh, about a young man who has a withered hand. And if you had a withered hand, it'd be one of those things that there's probably a tragedy, there's an accident, maybe you were dropped, maybe there's a deformity from birth or whatever whatever it is. It's usually a thing that you want to keep hidden. We all like to hide the damaged parts of our lives. Walk into church, praise God, it's all good! You know what I'm talking about. Not our church, the other churches that you have visited. The ones who they put on airs and pretend to be like, I got it all together. We like to hide our, our, our injuries. We like to hide the things that need to be transformed. I'm going to tell you that's the, that's the surest way to not experiencing transformation. Yeah. The Bible says confess your faults to one another. Why? Because when you pull out your, I keep getting my hand trapped in my shirt. Um, when you pull out that withered hand, the withered hand gets to be dealt with. It's exposed. And so, so Jesus said, to, it's interesting, Jesus said, reach out your hand, stretch out your withered hand. Why? The man could have just left it in here and Jesus could have healed him. But God oftentimes wants our, our, our participation in the transformation process. Go and ask for some help. Stick, put it out there. Confess your faults to one another. Pray for one another, the book of James says, so that you may be healed. And so it was the stretching out the effort. And as the man put his hand out, his hand became whole. It's amazing. The obedient act of God, uh, of the man in the presence of God was the catalyst that unlocked it. Now that takes some effort. And some of you, you've experienced that. As you took two steps towards God, God took two steps towards you. And there began to be this breakthrough and this transformation. And it was amazing. Now there can be some long dog fights that require significant muscle in transformation. Like if you've got anger, none of you, but anger rooted deep down in your heart from disappointments and irritations and just feeling like life has cut you off short, that stuff will get down deep and its, its roots will grab onto rocky places in your life. And every time you go to pull on it, it wants to rip your whole heart out so it's easier not to deal with it. Or it could be your own unforgiveness for something tragic that's been done to you by someone else an abandonment, or something that was physically done to you when you were very vulnerable. But God wants to transform that. How many of you know that those deeper things really are far more dangerous to life 
than the external simple pack of cigarettes on the dashboard of your car. Because it's those deeper things that actually create the course of your life. And as long as you're holding on to insecurity, the fact that you just don't feel like you ever measure up, in heaven, you're going to know you measure up. You know why? Because the king will say, enter into my joy. But here on earth, it's hard to hear that. And so we're afraid to enter into the things that God has for us because we feel insecure. We feel unworthy. Lots of people just sabotage the journey so that it's easier to fail than actually believe God and succeed. And so there are these things that get down deep into our lives and they require a dogfight. And that can be in and of itself somewhat challenging because in the dogfight, boy, you ever been in a dogfight? Doesn't it get confusing? Anybody, just me and Chris have gotten in dogfights, okay? It gets a little crazy what's going on. Like when you're all out boxing and fighting and trying to overcome an enemy, like one of these deep issues in life, uh, it can turn into a whole lot of human effort suddenly. You lose track of what's going on here, and then you just end up trying to conquer this thing in your own flesh. You start thinking, well, if I pray more, it'll just go away. If I fast more, if I give more. And what we end up doing is we end up chasing the external things that we wanted. I want my anger to go away. We yell at God, I want my anger to go away. And so we think, well, I'll give more and I'll pray more. And sometimes what we experience is an increase of that. And the reason why is because really the anger is a deep-seated issue. The anger actually isn't the problem. It's the condition of the heart that anger sits like a plant in. And so we get trapped in this cycle of trying to fight our own battle, of trying to stop being angry, to start being more nice, to start being more, I'm going to be more trusting. I'm going to stop being anxious. Now, is this just me or is this all of us? I'm, you know, I'm going to stop being, you know, just fill in the blank, whatever you struggle with. I'm just going to stop it. I don't know about you, but that's been a pretty difficult battle. And then that brings along with it its companions, shame and guilt, frustration. And so now I really don't want to worship at all. I back up even farther. And the enemy exploits that. Or, or we actually conquer it through our physical strength, and then we feel pretty proud when really we've traded one sin for another, not realizing it. And now we walk around judging people for the things that we've overcome. Don't you ever forget that every one of us is in process. And the church is filled, starting with right here with imperfect people. Now, every position of, of spiritual leadership might require something different, okay? And there's some graces for different people in different spots. And the higher level of leadership, the, the boy, there's certain things you got to have conquered, but every one of us is in process. And about that time when that you're spouting fire out of your mouth about, well, they just need to, you, you, need to, you need to let that do a left-hand turn and another left-hand turn and point at you because probably what you're not realizing is a sense of self-righteousness has come upon you, which is the worst form of, sinful, of sin's impact, feeling like I'm better than someone else. Mm. Anyway, so let me keep moving on. That's just free. That's not even in my notes. So let me give you this, this final point, which is really important. It's that ultimately worship creates the optimal atmosphere for our transformational experience. There's something about 
worship that creates the perfect scenario for the good work of God to happen. Have you ever tried to like, uh, Josh and Trish, they're building their business. They create such beautiful furniture. Right now, currently, they're doing it in a residential garage in a residential neighborhood. Trish was telling me the story this morning. She was doing some sanding with some epoxy, which creates this dust that's incredibly fine. It's blowing everywhere. And she got all done from sanding, and she went to take a shower, and there was no hot water, and ultimately figured out that all of this powder got on the hot water heater, and it kept the, the appropriate function of the hot water heater from working because a garage residential is not the best place, best environment to build epoxy furniture. Lo and behold, who knew, right? <laughs> There are right places that are more optimal to do the work of God. And worship is always the optimal ground for God to build a better you. Your effort is required, but I want to tell you, void of God's presence, your effort will turn into something that gets corrupted. So my real emphasis here, why we value so much worship so much as a church family is because we loved, I love transformation. Jesus didn't just die so that your sin could be forgiven. You know what? If that's all it could do, you would be doing the same dumb stuff until you're dead. Jesus ultimately would have to be crucified again and again and again for the same stupid stuff. Thank God we have a God that's powerful, that when he gave his life for our sin, sin wasn't enough to hold him in the ground. Life came upon him. The Father raised him, the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead, showing that we have power to not only be forgiven, but to overcome the who we were and the what was done to us. Amen? Now, I just want you to remember the next time you see me at my worst, which could be pulling out of the driveway here, okay? (laughs) I can see very vividly, very clearly in my life transformation, even in this last year. And I can see, this is, honestly, you got to know this. I can see in your lives, especially the longer the history goes by, the transformation that takes place in your lives. It's remarkable. I, you know, some of my earliest people that I, I remember would be the Jones family. I remember Martin standing on the, the stairs of that old country church that nobody was coming to because of a kid's crusade flyer we had put on their doorknob. And to watch the journey, and I'm telling you what, there's a lot of journeying in there. There's a lot of wins, a lot of phone calls. Martin's not afraid to call me up. Hey, Pastor Steve, I need prayer. Or guess what happened? And there's been some amazing highs, and there's been some challenging lows. But in all of those highs and those lows, and I stand back, and Martin and Annie and their entire family are trophies of God's transforming power in this house. Because in the ups and downs, thank okay, In the ups and downs, you mark this down, there's a trajectory when you stand back that looks like this. I know if I needed prayer, I could call Martin and he's got an effective prayer any same way. First year, do, you know, let's be honest. Probably not. I mean, there were a lot of things in doubt. Maybe Martin living till the next year or... For all of us, we've all been there, right? You know what I'm saying? Maybe it wasn't that bad. I'm just kind of... 
But the, be- the beautiful thing is that's not just... Um, that's not just behavior modification because the heart of those two people has been ongoingly over time transformed. Some of it was behaviors to stop. Some of it was the removal of limps that were created in their world. And I'm talking about all of us. Some of it was seeing the world through a skewed vision created by previous relationships and friends. It's that beating down where you feel like, I'm just barely going to survive for the rest of my life. We're never going to thrive. And then there's that stepping into, no, 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 I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the king. We're going to thrive. That is the transforming power of God, that my prayers are effective, that I can make a difference in this world. I can be a leader in God's house. I can have a positive impact. Come on, to be able to dream about the good things that God has for you. Where do, where do those truths come in? They do come from preaching. Yes, they do come from God's word. They, do, they are birthed out of uh, the spirit of God. But ultimately, in the presence of God, it's the perfect atmosphere for the seed to land into the ground of your heart and for it to take root and be watered and give birth to transformation. That's why we value it. That's why we challenge you to raise your hands. And, and it brings about a significantly different experience than just going to some place where they sing a song and you put your hands in your pocket. You give me a child that experiences overdoses of affection, and you give me a child during the same time of their life experiences an absence of touch and hug and embrace, but here's the same words. There will be two different experiences. One will be much better than the other. It produces a different outcome. God's spirit will transform your life because it's the right atmosphere for the transformational experience. A couple of quick points, and worship team's going to come now, and we'll sing a final song. Uh, just remember this. Worship is always going to bring God's presence closer. Amen. It's a promise from God. The Bible says if you draw near to God, he will do what? Is there any conditions to that? Like if you're perfect and you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. If you have amazing hair like Pastor Steve, I'll let you know my product later. I don't get endorsements, so I I'll, I'll, uh, won't share it publicly, but afterwards you can ask me what I use, right? Um, is, it, is, it, is, it only, is, it only, is it only adults who can experience the presence of God? I've got some amazing pictures of our, our children powerful in this church. That's why we love, listen, we love you if you're older. You get same respect here if you're kids, if you're teenagers. Because man, you get into God's presence and their hands raised. Wow. Amazing. And how much better to be transformed on the front end before so much of the debris is built up than to wait till like some of us, we're much later and God had to start his transforming process in our 40s and our 50s and maybe beyond. I thank God I was only 18, but man, a lot can happen in 18 years. That's why it's so important to get your kids into the house of God, into a place where there's an atmosphere, because you could do a lot of parenting, and you need to, and you could do a lot of teaching, and you need to, but I am telling you, the atmosphere of God's presence, where it's tangible, allows that stuff to come together, and there's a perfect breeding ground for the Spirit of God to shape even even things in their life that you don't know have been already birthed 
damage that's happened that you wouldn't even know about. I know you're a helicopter mom or dad. I know, I know that you've got everything. You're protecting them. You're an iron bridge. But you can't keep thoughts, suggestions, fears. There are elements of parenting that you will never be able to accomplish. But he's the heavenly father. That's the one confidence I have. I'll do my best, but God can do so much better. So I'm going to show up and do my best, but I'm going to bring my family into the house of God, into the presence of God, and let God do the ultimate heavenly father stuff that earthly dad cannot accomplish. Mom, dad, if you have faith, you are never limited by your parenting experiences. You're never limited by your bank account. Listen, it might not, maybe your kids are grown up, you drag your, your grandkids. You just, listen, you can do it. You take, your, your kids will say, here, take them. Drop them off the night before. Your next door neighbor, have a vision for those kids to experience on the front end God's transforming power. Second thing is God's presence contains everything necessary for right here and right now for whatever transi- tran- uh, transformation is necessary. There's never a moment that you're in that God doesn't have in his presence exactly what you need. Because sometimes, you know what? You're a little bit too big for your britches and you need to be brought down lower. And the very next day, you're down in the mully grubs and need to be brought up. And your earthly counselor won't know the difference, but God always does. And our earthly counselor has might have value, okay, for lots of different circumstances. I'm not against outside counselors, okay? But what I'm saying is God's presence always has exactly what you need. There's times that I don't, do you, have you ever been in this spot? I don't even know what I need. What is wrong with me? Anybody, you lived through 2020? little whiplash into 2021? I don't even know what's wrong with me at this point. God's able to breathe the exact thing that you need. Why? Because we step in. Because we worship. Third thing is, stand with me. God's presence will always have an impact. It will always transfer something. It will always, 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 always. And I'll I'll end uh, today's message. We're going to step into worship and excited about being able to just take a few more minutes to worship God. But there's a man in the Old Testament, his name is Saul. And he became the first king of all of Israel. And to be honest with you, he wasn't a great king. He was a terrible king. The first one. He's a good looking guy. He was very, very charming. He could win people over. But sometimes what's going on on the outside is not what's happening on the inside. And deep down, he was very insecure. And you see that happen over and over all through his life. And that insecurity was damage. And no one else could see it, but you see it play its way out. And the heart of God was to transform him. And God did multiple things in his life to bring about those moments. And there's a beautiful portion of scripture when he first becomes king. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6. God makes him a promise. He says, as you journey home, you're going to be going across some farming terrain. And you're going to come across a couple of people. And when you do, listen to this. The spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. And you will prophesy with them. This is a guy who's never prophesied. I mean, if you're going to start prophesying, you probably want to get a book and go to a class, right? Or ask somebody some questions. No training at all. God said, my spirit's going to come upon you. Suddenly you're going to be speaking my word. And this is what it says. 
and you will be changed into a different person. Because God's spirit, when it comes upon you, changes you into the person that you were designed to be. That's a thing that needs to be engaged regularly. That's why one worship service is not enough. I get to come to two on a Sunday. I love it. I'm not like, oh, man, another church service. I'm like, sweet, we get to be with God again. It's going to be awesome. And it may be a little bit tiring, but I always get recharged because, man, we're with God. And it is constantly changing me into a different, better person. Now, when you see my imperfections, just remind yourself, you think that's bad. Boy, what if he didn't worship? What would he be like? I promise you it would be worse. Quit trying to muscle your imperfections. Participate in your imperfections. There's a part you need to do. But you're not just going to stop being anxious, but you'll find when you step into God's presence and begin to worship him, perfection comes upon imperfection. The veil is removed. The glow begins to happen. Suddenly it dissipates. Amen? all over this room. Just raise your hands and I want you to use your words right now and express your affection to him. Come on, lift up your voice. This is your worship. This is how you unlock the door. This is how you step into the presence of God. I know this might be new and awkward for some of you, but I want you just with your hands raised, eyes closed, using your words, speak to your heavenly father and allow it to be the key that opens the door and see yourself before him because that's what your words will do. Father, I honor you. I love you, God. I praise you. I say thank you, God. Your goodness, God, your beauty, let it be manifest in my life. Let me experience the very presence, the here and now, Shekinah presence of God. Lord, I desire your transformation. I desire to be changed into a different person. And I work at that, but God, your spirit is the catalyst for all of that change. I honor you. Come on, keep lifting up your voice. God, I honor you. I worship you. God, I love you. God, I give you praise. God, I lift up my voice to you. It's in Jesus' name that I praise you. Jesus' name that I praise you. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, leaders, and what we do at C3 Church, visit our website at c3swwa.com.